You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of Collected Works, Volume 266, Volume 2 of that uh, book, uh, entitled Esoteric Lessons, Those Given from 1910 to 1912, translated by James Hines. This is Part 7, and it goes from pages 270 to 315 in the book. Esoteric Lesson, given in Berlin, January 26, 1912. Record A, Notes from the Collection of Elizabeth Freda. Record B, Manuscript from Rudolf Meyer. Record C, Notes from Günther Wagner. Record D, Manuscript from Camilla Vandry. Record E, Manuscript from Frauke Tittring. Record A. Esoteric development must be different at different times in history. Otherwise, the sequence of incarnations would have no meaning. But certain things remain the same through all ages. For example, we find that Egyptian esotericists speak of arrival at the threshold of death, passage through the underworld, the experience of the four elements, seeing the sun at midnight, an encounter with spiritual beings that are immediately present. What is intended with this cannot be fully explained now, but a few simple things will be said. One of the feelings that the esoteric life can bring us is that waking life seems to us as if it were actually a sleeping life. This is not a mood that we could live with constantly, then it should never be our intent to extend and spread over our entire life any esoteric moods that we might experience in certain moments. If we did that, we would become unable to meet our responsibilities in the external world. From time to time, all esotericists should experience a longing to penetrate through to what stands behind the kingdoms of nature they see around them. A longing to experience the true reality toward which we strive and in relation to which all ordinary sense impressions have no more value than those in sleep. Those who would like to live constantly with such esoteric moods would have to withdraw into a kind of monastic life. However, that is not the kind of esotericism that Rosicrucians strive for. Those who would like to withdraw in this way in order to prepare themselves through several incarnations, must also be aware that they are acquiring certain privileges with respect to their fellow human beings, and that if everyone wanted to live the same way human evolution would be made impossible. Our exercises are designed to bring us into the spiritual world. However, because of our inattentiveness, we often do not notice the progress that we are making with them. 
So we can have the feeling that we are making very poor use of the forces that have been poured into our thinking, feeling and willing. But it would be impossible for us to live in such thinking, feeling and willing. It would shatter and destroy us. The feeling that one gets when having an experience that is overwhelming was called by the ancients, quote, coming to the threshold of death, close quote. For one then feels, quote, what I am now experiencing, I can master neither with my thinking, nor with my feeling, nor with my will. Now I am feeling what it means to be dead, close quote. No doubt the majority of you has already been through this experience. That one does not know this is the result of a lack of attention. During meditation, one will have often had the feeling that one was away, in quotes, for a while, and then coming to oneself. Think, quote, I have been sleeping, close quote. If one makes the effort to pursue what was experienced in such moments, one would sense that one had just had the greatest experiences that one had ever gone through. Another experience is this. It does not necessarily have to come after the first. One can get the impression that this second experience was experienced first because one slept through the first. One arrives at the feeling that one is stuck in one's body, that one carries it around with oneself. Just as one can distinguish between the weight one carries around in one's arms from the weight of the muscle of the arms themselves, so too one learns to experience one's arms themselves as a foreign weight that one carries. Then one can have the feeling that one sits bound and tied in a lower world, not bodily, but all the more in one's soul. This is the, quote, walking in the lower world, close quote. In our meditations, we feel ourselves to be entirely paralyzed, in quotes, and afterward we have the feeling as if lukewarm water were being poured all over us inwardly. One can also have the feeling that the evil thoughts we have are not only thoughts, but something real. When we have harbored bad thoughts concerning someone, then we see this like an arrow shot into that person, injuring the soul more than a physical arrow shot into the body. As soon as we realize what we are doing, we notice how the arrow flies back to us and burns us like fire, as if we were in the, quote, flames of the underworld, close quote. This is the, quote, going through the elements, close quote. It does not have to be seen as a vision. We can feel it in ourselves as if we had burns all over the body, so to speak. When we feel this way, we are sending forces out of the etheric body. However, they can reach only as far as the borders of the aura. There they meet the cosmic forces that are at work everywhere at the periphery. These cosmic forces turn around our etheric forces and direct them toward certain centers where they cause suprasensory organs to appear. Thus it is the same as with our physical organs. 
they too were formed from undifferentiated organs by the light. We could not see as long as the light was working on the eyes. That became possible only when they were finished. So too, we can use our higher organs only after they have been created in the way described. The end of Record A. Record B. All esotericism, all esoteric striving, is subject to change, to progress. This means that the form is changed, but the essence of esotericism remains the same at all times. If that were not the case, the teaching concerning repeated earth lives would have no meaning. That is, we are led again and again to the earth, so that we can have experiences and our souls become more mature. The form in which human beings are introduced into higher worlds today had to become entirely different from the past. Contemporary human beings with their differentiated soul life would be hard-pressed to endure what was demanded of esoteric pupils in the ancient Egyptian mysteries. They underwent a preparation in the course of a few weeks under the eyes of a priest. Violent means were employed, for example, to stir up their compassion to the highest level, to test their fearlessness. They were fully aware that their lives were at stake. It is different with people today. Indeed, they still stand under the guidance of a teacher, but they are lifted into higher worlds through the power of the meditations given to them, through their own work on their souls. If asked about the stages of development, an Egyptian esotericist would have answered with the following summary. Number one, passage through the gates of death. Number two, descent into the underworld. Number three, passage through the elements. Number four, beholding the sun at midnight. Number five, and thereby recognizing spiritual powers. It is very difficult to describe these individual steps. They are based on soul experiences that everyone must go through. But it is not said that the sequence must always be the same. It can happen that the first step is missed, so that the second moves into the first position. Everything that happens in the soul is very fine, very subtle. We must accustom ourselves to pay attention to these intimate moods of the soul. Number one. When we listen to what is happening in our soul, something soon shows itself as if the soul were wrapped up in itself, asleep to the external world. It will say to itself, All of you beautiful meadows, all of you beautiful valleys, I have no longing for you. There is longing in me for what lies behind you. A mood such as this is like sleep, like dying. One cannot think, one cannot feel as before. One cannot lift one's little finger. The will is also dead. All one's limbs become heavy and useless. The soul finds itself outside the body. It is as if the material world is falling away. One feels abandoned by God. Of course, this feeling must only be allowed to be passing. Otherwise, we would become completely useless for our professional life. In today's world, our esoteric life is arranged in such a way that it is compatible with every profession. 
precisely because we have lived in such moods, we should be fresh and flexible for our external life. Those who would want to live entirely for their own development would have to withdraw as a monk and claim in advance this particular privilege for themselves for many earth lives to come. This feeling of being wrapped up in oneself over and against the external world esotericists have at all times called quote, going through the portal of death. Close quote. It is really like an anticipation of the feeling of dying. Number two, the second feeling, that of descending into the underworld, appears in such a way that a feeling of shame arises in us concerning our own unworthiness, that we have not made full use of abilities present in our soul, the use of which we would actually be capable. The feeling that we get is as if the body were something apart that we must carry with us, and that occasionally weighs us down like lead. For example, we have this feeling in our arms. We have the feeling as if the body were something alien to us. Then all at once we feel ourselves illuminated, as if drenched with lukewarm water. Number three, and then a third feeling. We become clear about the fact that our thoughts are realities. Earlier we might well have had a thought, then a second followed, and we believed that the second extinguished the first. Now, with an evil thought, we will feel as if a deadly arrow had been shot at the object of our thought. However, this arrow comes back and is directed at our own soul and then burns in our soul. Then this burning spot remains through our entire lifetime. Sooner or later, through our karma, we must put it right. Esotericists begin to see imaginatively. They see the fire that is enkindled by their evil thoughts. It will often seem to them as if the entire body were burning with flames blazing up. Esotericists of all ages have called this going through the elements. Analogously, there are experiences that correspond to fire on the other steps of the elemental world. Many complain, quote, I am making no progress. I do not seem to be advancing, Close quote. The teacher often sees that esoteric students are unnecessarily struggling with this perception. It is only a lack of attention that they bring to the most intimate stirrings in their soul. We should live completely in our meditations, identify with the contents of the meditation, and banish everything else every thought of the external world, and then live for a few minutes in the after-effects. Centers of force are created that work within the astral body, but only up to the circumference of the aura. There they meet with the forces streaming into us, out of the astral world, that create and form the organs of the astral body, the lotus flowers. These lotus flowers bring it about that the configuration of the astral body is changed when the purified astral body works into the etheric body and makes it independent from the physical body. They also make the etheric body capable of further stages of development which lead to beholding the sun at midnight and acquaintance with the great spiritual world of the cosmos. 
This, then, is immense blessedness. The end of record B. Record C. We would very much like to extend the mood of meditation to include all of life. But this does not work because we would then be useless for everyday physical life. Those who assume this privilege for themselves and dedicate their present lives entirely to meditation, that is, lead a cloistered monk's life, will all the more in their next lifetime, despite perhaps strengthened spiritual forces, be assigned an active life. Many complain that they are making no progress. They notice nothing in themselves that would indicate progress. A teacher often sees that esoteric students worry unnecessarily. But the problem is merely a question of how much attention the student brings to the subtle stirrings of soul. Nevertheless, this attention is absolutely necessary for progress. At all times, people have carried out esoteric exercises. In earlier times, it was done within the mysteries. Also, in the ancient records of the Rosicrucians, we find a form provided for the experiences that people who want to develop themselves should be having. Very specific experiences are mentioned there, as are to be found in all such records, especially in the Egyptian mysteries. Number one, at the threshold of death, that is, of the other side. Number two, a descent into the underworld. Number three, passage through the elements. We must also go through all these feelings, but they do not have to happen in this specific sequence. In earlier times, these feelings and their corresponding exercises were pursued much more intensely. Today, a human being could no longer bear them because modern soul life has become more differentiated. The first experience, crossing the threshold of death, this makes itself perceptible to all mystics in the following way. A person, for a moment, briefly loses consciousness. Limbs become heavy and useless. The soul finds itself outside the body. We feel ourselves abandoned by God and humanity. The material world falls away during this moment when we see ourselves in our own world as if buried and feel a strong longing for the other true world. We are unable to do anything with the will, neither with feeling or thinking. We must feel this powerfully but not get stuck too strongly in this feeling because the physical world is our school where we are to go through our physical and spiritual evolution. The feeling of actually dying can go on for moments. The main thing is to notice what is happening to us. The second feeling, that of descending into the underworld, appears in such a way that a feeling of shame arises in us, that we ourselves are unworthy, that we have not made enough use of the soul abilities given to us or done what we could have been capable of. The feeling we get is that the body is something apart from us, something that we must carry with us, which is occasionally as heavy as lead, our arms, for example. We get a feeling that something foreign to us has entered our body, and then we feel at times as if water were being poured over us. 
The third feeling is the passage through the elements. We experience the reality of thoughts and know that they are things. If we send negative thoughts towards someone, we usually comfort ourselves by saying, they are really only thoughts. In reality, this is, however, worse than shooting someone with a deadly arrow on the physical plane. In imaginative pictures, we then experience how these, in quotes, thought arrows fly back at us and touch our soul like a flame, branding us which we must make good in our karma. On the other steps of the elemental world there are corresponding experiences. We should live completely in the exercises that are given to us. Afterward we should abide for a few moments in the after-effects of meditation, realizing in doing so that we are living in these after-effects. Through all these experiences, force centers are formed, which work within the astral body, but only to the extent of the aura. There they meet up with forces that stream into us from the spiritual world from outside. In this way, the organs of the astral body, the lotus flowers, are formed. They bring it about that the purified astral body works into the etheric body whose configuration is changed and the etheric body is made independent from the physical body. Thereby a person becomes capable of further steps, beholding the sun at midnight and further getting to know the great spiritual world of the cosmos. This then is enormous blessedness. The end of Record C Record D Threshold of Death Descent into the underworld. Passage through the elements. Often we would like to extend the mood of meditation to encompass our entire lives. But this will not work, because we would then become useless for physical life. Those who would assume the privilege of dedicating their present life entirely to meditation, that is to leading a kind of cloistered or monastic life, would then be all the more placed in the task of being active in a practical life, perhaps with strengthened spiritual forces. People have carried out esoteric exercises through the ages, in earlier times, in the mysteries. For those who wanted to develop their soul capacities, we find described in the ancient records of the Rosicrucians the forms of experience that the human soul must pass through. And they always spoke of very specific experiences. This is also the case for the ancient Egyptians and altogether for all ancient mysteries. Here it has always been said that the soul is led to the threshold of death. It must descend into the elements. It must pass through the elements. A student of esotericism must also pass through all of this today. But these experiences do not need to be passed through in this particular sequence. Earlier, the exercises that lead to these strongly felt experiences were carried out much more powerfully. They appeared in the soul with an enormous force, which a human being today would not be able to endure because our modern soul life has become much more differentiated. 
The first experience, that of crossing the threshold of death, was experienced in the ancient mysteries in such a way that the students felt very momentarily the absence of the spirit from the body. They felt that their limbs were becoming lifeless as with a corpse. Their bodies became as useless as a dead body. They felt that soul and spirit were no longer working within the body. They were outside. The entire material world in which they lived, perceived and experienced with their body fell away from them and was no longer present. However, the true world, the real world of reality, was hidden from them. Thus, in this moment of death, the human being feels abandoned by God, by human beings, by the spiritual world and the physical world, wholly, completely abandoned. And a strong longing for that true world arises in the soul. But people feel that they cannot enter into this true world with the soul capacities that they have used until now with their thinking, with their feeling, with their willing, they cannot begin to do anything. All these experiences students of esotericism also have today. They must also feel and experience strongly how the thinking that serves them when experiencing the physical plane is obtuse and useless for their striving for the spiritual, that another kind of thinking must be acquired. They must experience how their feeling is permeated by egotism, how with this kind of feeling they are pushed back from the spiritual world, and how their will is a hidden power that they must find. All of these experiences must be strongly felt. For an experience of the spiritual world, the soul looking on from outside the physical body must again and again experience the complete worthlessness of the thinking, feeling and willing that serves only the physical world. Of course, along with this, a consciousness of the value of the physical world must also appear. There must be an awareness that this physical world is our school and that only through a proper recognition of this value of the physical world are we able to come to the point of undergoing a spiritual development. Students must know that they must learn to regard the physical world and their physical bodies as tools for their soul and spiritual development. They must learn that they can really experience themselves outside of the physical world and their physical bodies in their true being just as a manual laborer, when he uses his tools, feels himself to be outside of them. This feeling can go as far as the physical body's really dying, which can last for a moment. But it is of the greatest importance that one notice what is really happening to one. Then the second experience sets in. This is also an experience in one's feeling and knowing descent into the lower worlds. Here we learn even further how to step back from ourselves. Previously we looked at our bodily nature. Now we also look upon our soul constitution from outside. And here a feeling of incredible shame rises within us. We are ashamed of our own unworthiness before the spiritual world. 
we learn to recognize that the capacities of our souls are gifts from the gods. And we realize that we have not used these divine gifts, which we should have used according to the intentions of the gods. We feel that all the egotism revealed in our emotions, drives and passions has distanced our souls from the world of the gods. Parenthesis, we look down into a world of beings that have an intimate connection to human beings but are of a sub-sensory nature. And when we look into ourselves and perceive ourselves through our drives, instincts and so forth, then we must suspect that the sub-sensory underlies them. Our drives and so forth are the effects of the work these beings do. Close parenthesis. And if we have until now experienced only the body is distant, so now we experience what the soul used for egotism, which was thereby taken away from the spiritual world, as also moving away from us. Experiencing death, we often felt the body becoming like lead. Now it is as if something foreign were coming into the body. We feel this especially strongly in our hands and arms. And the feeling of shame pours over us like a rush of lukewarm water again and again. When we have learned, perhaps over a long period of time, to see into the underworld, which is our own soul world, in which all the demonic beings live and weave, when we have intensely experienced the feeling of shame, then the third element appears, passage through the elements. At this stage, The knowledge that a soul must have in order to find a path into the spiritual world without danger appears in the human soul. At first, the human being experiences there the reality of thoughts. We learn to recognize thoughts as living beings. In ordinary life, it does not appear to be such a bad thing to do if we send evil thoughts to someone, thoughts of hatred, of envy, or lovelessness. We think that these are only thoughts. Now, we learn that such thoughts are something worse than a shot with a deadly arrow on the physical plane. With imaginative pictures we experience how these arrows bounce back so that they hit us. They touch our souls like a flame and imprint their stigma on us. We learn that we take up these stigmas into our karma and we ourselves must compensate for them. On the other steps of the soul world, there are also corresponding experiences for feeling and willing. Parenthesis, the human being learns the truth of the words, The thoughts of the world live in my thinking. The forces of the world weave in my feeling. The beings of the world work in my willing. Close parenthesis. While meditating, The soul must live intensely in the given exercises. Afterward, it must abide a while for a few moments in the after-effects of the meditation and know at the same time that it is and lives in these after-effects. Through all these experiences, centers of power are created within the astral body whose work extends out to the circumference of the aura. There at the periphery of the aura, 
these forces from the centers of power meet with forces that stream into us from out of the spiritual world. Through this working outward from our own middle point and working inward from outside, the organs of the astral body, the so-called lotus flowers, are formed. They bring it about that the purified astral body influences the etheric body, changing its configuration and making it independent of the physical body. In this way, the human being is given the ability to take further steps. At first we experience, quote, beholding the sun at midnight, close quote, and then become acquainted with the great soul world of the cosmos and the spiritual world that we find on the other side of the cosmos, in the sphere of the zodiacal powers. And this expansion of self into these worlds is associated with an incredible feeling of blessedness. The end of record D. This is record E, an extract. The ancients have always had a training that was similar to ours up to a certain point in relation to the experiences that a student has. At that time it progressed more quickly than now. It could be done in a few weeks. Now, this is a self-initiation. Often we can carry out the same exercise for our entire lives with increasing intensity and constantly have new experiences. What is important is that we pay close attention to the very subtle experiences that we have in our souls. Very few of those present will have never experienced something like this. However, they are so weak, so fine, that we do not notice them. Nevertheless, they characterize the progress made by a student. In title How to Know Higher Worlds, many exercises are given that can gradually make one capable of experiencing the higher worlds on a path that is safe, without danger. However, means are given here through which one can progress even faster. The experiences in the ancient mysteries were, number one, advancing to the threshold of the gate of death. Number two, descent into the underworld. Number three, the fire, water, and air tests. Number four, beholding the sun at midnight and the encounter as reality with spiritual beings that lie hidden behind every material phenomenon. The end of the esoteric lesson. Esoteric lesson given in Stuttgart on February 20th, 1912. Record A, manuscripts from Matilda Scholl and Barbara Wolf. Record B, manuscript from Alice Kinkle. Record A. The evolution of the world and the evolution of the human being always go hand in hand. Those people who join an esoteric school must at the same time do justice to the age in which they live. However, because we connect ourselves with the eternal values of evolution through our esoteric development, there is something that has always been present and has an enduring significance for the student in the esoteric schools of all ages, even for the pre-Christian, for example the Egyptian. These are words that present-day students, as well as students of ages past, in terms of their meaning, can allow to work on their souls. Such words from that time are as follows.
when translated into our language, they sound more or less like this. Quote, I have come to the gate of death. I have come to know the four elements. I have seen the sun at midnight. I have come close to the higher and lower gods. I have returned to the external world. Close quote. What does it mean to say, quote, I have come to the gate of death, close quote, and so forth? In our meditations, we gradually reach the point where we feel ourselves as double personalities. We feel that the I capital no longer belongs to what we have until now identified with the physical body. When we die, it happens quite naturally that we no longer regard our body as belonging to us. But we must already have achieved this through training before we separate ourselves definitively from the body. If human beings had developed as the good gods intended, then they would have directed their bodies from outside. If, for example, we had wanted to travel from one city to another, then we would have directed our bodies there through a magical influence of the will from outside. The body would have been like a weight that belonged to us. We can illuminate this thought if we imagine that an inhabitant of Mars is suddenly placed on earth and the first human being whom he encounters carries a weight in each hand. The inhabitant of Mars might think, since he had never before seen a human being, that these two weights were growths on the human body. Thus have we grown together entirely too much with the physical body. Now, if we properly train ourselves, we will increasingly get the feeling that the eye is splitting, with one part directing the other from outside. As we increasingly come into contact with the highest creative beings, with our elevated eye, which we should humbly feel as grace, it can happen that we increasingly identify this eye with these high beings. For we are so permeated by ambition and vanity that we cannot even imagine it. Now, there is a good means of working against this vanity. How did the predecessors of humanity, the Elohim, appear on the earth? They did not reflect themselves in their brilliancy, full of vanity. In the Bible we are told that they created, and that they then looked upon their deeds and saw that they were good. So, too, we should look upon the deeds of the eye, upon what our eye has accomplished. Then we will see how little good is still to be found in all of our deeds. Take, for example, our handwriting. It is an expression of our eye, part of ourselves that we set forth outwardly. No one would be so vain as to find everything about his or her handwriting to be beautiful. And so, with a little reflection, we could find many of our achievements, when examined more closely, to be very deficient. What does it mean to say we have come to know the elements? The first element, in which the human being was created, was warmth. And actually, along with the evolution of the earth, it was intended that human beings should send streams of warmth into their bodies from outside. 
summer warmth and winter cold, which they now as individual human beings experience in their bodies, they should have experienced as the eye flowing toward them from outside. They should feel this eye is connected to all other human eyes. The fact that warmth is now in us has moved into our blood. This is Lucifer's deed. The second element that we are intimately connected with is air. Actually, we should have the feeling that we ourselves are the air that is outside of us that with every breath we stream into the body with the air and enliven them it. Instead we feel air to be something that comes to us from outside. We send it back as something that is poisoned, as something that kills. And Araman comes forward to meet us in this dead air. We identify ourselves only with the other two elements, the solid and the liquid in us the physical body and blood. We experience them as we ourselves. However, we should identify ourselves as little as possible with our present personality, so that even if we come to know our earlier incarnations, we regard them only as passing stages. We should never say, we have been this person or that person, for then we mix up the eternal I with our transitory eye. End of record A. Record B. Four sentences from the Egyptian initiation are given to you. The feelings associated with these stages an esotericist must penetrate even today. Number one, I had to go through the gate of death. The experience is feeling one's body like a weight that must be carried. Number two, I had to come to know the elements. Number three, I was allowed to behold the sun at midnight. Number four, I was very near the higher and the lower gods. Verse of the Egyptian Mysteries I have come to the gate of death. I have come to know the four elements. I have seen the sun at midnight. I have come close to the lower and the higher gods. I have returned to the outer world. I went to the border of death. I entered Proserpine's threshold. And after I traveled through all the elements, I turned around and came back. At midnight I saw the sun with bright white light radiant. I went to the lower and higher gods from face to face and worshipped them from the closest proximity. End of the esoteric lesson. Esoteric Lesson, Stuttgart, February 22, 1912 Record A, Manuscript from Barbara Wolf Record B, Manuscript from Alice Kinkle Record A With what we discussed the day before yesterday, it is above all important and necessary that an esotericist learn to feel these things, not merely to grasp them intellectually. However, before we discuss these things further, we want to mention still some things that are important and valuable for an esotericist. When entering an esoteric stream, it is entirely natural to ask how does one advance, 
How does one develop the soul upward? Here it is of the utmost importance that we stand firmly upon an esoteric center point from which we can look out upon life, a center from which we allow ourselves to be irradiated. We should open ourselves with respect to the streams coming from the spiritual world that are appropriate for our time. There is absolutely no value in flirting with other routes to the spirit just because they appear theosophical to us. No value is in engaging them superficially. This simply hinders our progress. It would be much better to attach ourselves to a more or less false route to the spirit if we thought that it would give us more, for we would then have from it what corresponds to ourselves. A true esotericist must look into life from his or her solid, unshakable standpoint with wakeful eyes, for this will always get more complicated. These complications are brought about by Luciferic beings that have remained behind in evolution since the mystery of Golgotha. That is, they have not taken the consequences of this mystery into themselves. What is now happening in the spiritual world has a shocking effect on those who can see into it. What Lucifer has brought us was actually good for us, that we entered into our physical and etheric bodies and did not remain hovering, for the eye has thereby acquired the power of knowledge and memory. Memory is indeed something that also, of course, holds us back. However, without it, given the way we are stuck in our bodies, we could not manage. Above all, we would not be able to distinguish between reality and illusion. Suppose we would think of someone whom we knew twenty years ago and then approach this memory picture and greet it. This we would have to call an hallucination. But we would fall for this kind of hallucination if we took something that had been left behind for something that was appropriate for our time. This is something that will frequently be the case in times not far from now. The Luciferic beings that remained behind since the mystery of Golgotha have created a spearhead, so to speak, in certain souls. These are souls that the Luciferic beings overpowered after their last incarnation. These souls lived at the time of Tauler and Meister Eckhart in the 13th century. They belonged to the community of the Begards. They are now attempting to confuse the hearts of human beings in the coming time. The means they are using is the old religions of Brahmanism and Buddhism. In the time when they were given, these were right for the ancient Indians, especially Brahmanism, which was a much more spiritual religion than Christianity is even to this day. That Christianity is not more advanced is due to the fact that Europeans have, since the Middle Ages, allowed a certain opportunity to escape, that is, the opportunity to develop properly what was given to it. Above all, like a flood from China, a sublime spiritual culture will penetrate Europe and impress Europeans mightily, because precisely because of its advanced age, reaching all the way back to Atlantis, it is far superior to present-day Christianity. 
What has now happened in China is perhaps externally, politically of significance. However, an esotericist must consider a book by an outstanding Chinese writer, Ku Hong Ming, titled China's Defense Against European Ideas, which has also been translated into German, as the expression of very far-reaching spiritual significance. Ku Hong Ming is a significant thinker. What he says is not wrong. And yet there is much therein that an esotericist must consider. He says that Christian missionaries came to China in order to bring their Christianity into an ancient lofty culture. Did they manage to do this? No. But something else came in its place. The missionaries brought Chinese culture back to Europe. And since the French Revolution approximately, Europe has become much more like China than it altogether suspects. This Chinese man knows full well that his people administer the memory of humanity and that this fact makes a great impression upon the European. However, memory is, as stated, Lucifer's gift. Through him we have descended into the physical body. We must again rescind this deed of Lucifer's, but not think that it was not necessary. One could ask, why then did we have to descend? But that would be the same as if a man to whom one suggested that he should go to a particular place in order to experience something would answer that it would not be necessary and that he would rather remain where he is. Then he would not have the experience. Likewise, we would never have achieved the consolidation of the eye if we had not entered in this way into our physical body. However, we should never regard it as more than an instrument. When, through meditation and concentration, we reach the point where we leave the body and see it lying before us, then, of course, the organs are not active. The eyes do not see, the ears do not hear. The body has the value of a plant, though a very highly developed plant. And as it lies there before us, we must say to ourselves that we must cease to speak of the lower physical body and the lower etheric body, for these two are miraculously structured in their organization. The physical body is a temple that the lower gods build for us, and all that is bad, faulty, and defective in it we alone have caused. And when we, the inhabitants of this temple, then look upon ourselves, we become aware that we, that is our spiritual part, have the form of a dragon, of a worm. There are many who imagine that they live selflessly only for their fellow human beings. But the clairvoyant sees, with their jaws pushed forward and with the receding forehead of a worm, the sign of their egotism. Our souls still have this form of a worm, and the good gods have set the guardian of the threshold in front of it, so that we do not see it all the time. Now we should undertake to bring this dragon transformed up to higher gods. This should be our constant work. When ancient Egyptians walked through the temple during their initiation, through the row of sphinxes, they said to themselves that this temple is a physical image of the perfect dwelling of God 
and that they have the task of achieving this divinity in order to live worthily in the temple of the body. When leaving the body, the eyes lose the ability to see. They no longer see the physical sun, nor do they see what it illuminates. Instead, the human being illuminates the surroundings, perceives colors and sounds in the spiritual world. Our spiritual part increases its abilities. If one exaggerates the separation from the body, then, of course, the physical eyes can suffer. They no longer see things clearly, but surrounded by an aura. There is now in England even a certain instrument that can be used so that the eyes see the aura of things. However, this is directly dangerous for the eyes, and a healthy departure from the body does not need such practices. Also, ancient Atlanteans did not yet see things clearly. They did not need to see clearly because the sun was still veiled by thick masses of fog and mist. Toward the end of Atlantis, a giant colored circle filling the entire sky was to be seen with a pale, veiled center point. There's a picture. In ancient Egypt, during initiation, by means of physical substances, it was brought about that the students saw the sun through the earth on the other side. The end of record A. Record B. It has often been said that our present time is very important and also very critical. It is a time in which great spiritual currents stream down into our physical world. They are to serve by bringing a, in quotes, new seed to human beings through which their development will be able to move forward. At the same time, influences are streaming down that originate in the past, that made earlier development fruitful. As esotericists, our task now should be to feel ourselves as in a center point, as firmly standing in the new seed, and not to allow ourselves to be confused or swept away by any adjacent current. Precisely in this moment a new spearhead, so to speak, has been formed. It is serving to strengthen the luciferic influences that are already present. These are spirits not presently incarnated, who were, however, followers of Johannes Tauler and Meister Eckhart, namely the Begards. They themselves belong to a mystical stream and to many good things for their era. Now they send their impulses down from the spiritual world and as such create a powerful spearhead for luciferic beings who remained behind at the mystery of Golgotha. They had to remain behind in order to intervene in evolution again at a later date. We already know from earlier communications that luciferic beings can also bring the good. From this point of view, it must be pointed out that we must thank these beings for our memory, for all of our mental capacities. What would it be like if we were to forget all the incidents in our destiny? all the events of our youth and early adulthood, or if we saw them as taking place in the present, then we would live in hallucinations. We would be confused within ourselves. But this is what the retarded Luciferic spirits want to evoke in us, 
They want us to experience our memories of the past as something healthy and still existing in the present. If the teachings of the ancient Brahmins or of Buddhism, which fostered the evolution of humanity in their time, would now be conveyed to people still in the same form, it would be as if the memories in our souls had been transferred through time into the present. Then one would live in hallucinations. Esotericists should stand firmly centered, should not surrender to any of these streams and especially not flirt with them, as all too often happens now when one wishes to reconcile all parties and hold together in a great brotherhood. Again and again one hears that this or that personality spoke, wrote, or preached, quote, so theosophically, close quote, or that this or that view of philosophy is permeated with theosophy. This only amounts to allowing oneself to be led astray, pulled away from one center, in order to go along with another stream for a time. It would be better for such esotericists to continue for a time or for their entire lives with such partially good or partially wrong streams, rather than constantly to oscillate back and forth between this or that approach to the Spirit. One of the most characteristic things of our time is something that is happening at the moment in China. Furthermore, as strange as it may sound, it is the consequence of earlier attempts by Christian missionaries to bring Christianity to China. China still possesses a genuine Atlantean spiritual science that contains much greatness. However, it belongs to a concluded epoch out of which Chinese culture cannot lift itself. The consequence of missionaries going to China has not been the Christianization of China, but rather the Europeans have become like the Chinese. The concepts and the ideas of the Chinese have flowed into the Europeans and then been brought back to Europe, and they are now leading Europe into the culture of the Chinese, so that it has become a center of great confusion in concepts and worldviews. The Chinese have the task of maintaining the memory of humanity. What they have preserved as spiritual treasures from the past, they should now show to humanity. All hindrances to this have been removed. It is not the task of the Chinese to distinguish between memory and hallucination. This is the task of Europeans. In the near future we will see that Europeans will be confused by these treasures because they will want to introduce them as something new. Parenthesis compare, for example, titled China's Defense Against Europe by Ku Hong Ming. And then when an outdated Buddhism and everything that has an oriental tint to it are also brought to Europe, parenthesis, and it is precisely what is most distant the Orient, that exerts the greatest attraction to people, close parenthesis, then error and confusion will reach a high point that we can hardly imagine. The new seed, which is just now emerging from Europe, which must be regarded as a seed, not as a full-grown fruit, forms a center point that we can firmly cling to.
All other streams must be decisively rejected as not belonging to this sprouting seed, with which our soul should unite its further development. We should raise ourselves up with this spiritual stream, and then what we have often described will take place. The I capital will acquire two aspects. It will form a duality. The one aspect we will experience as bound to the earth, created out of earthly forces. We will experience it as separated from ourselves. We will experience this I as if it had become smaller. The other I we will experience as something greater than what we have experienced in ourselves until now. Then we will see our bodies outside of ourselves and will no longer be able to use our senses, even if they are still present. Sight, hearing, feeling, everything will have left the body, and yet the body lives, although it is only the life of a plant. Then we will get the feeling that the body would be something very beautiful, if only we did not have to live in it. Our bodies have been perfectly formed, even into the finest details but we ourselves are responsible for making them into something inferior through our imperfections. When looking at things this way, we get the idea that what is outside of us, as the body, is similar to a dragon with gigantic jaws and a receding forehead. We realize that this is what we have made out of the work of the gods until now. The guardian of the threshold prevents us from seeing the gestalt of our self, but it is nevertheless always present. We then learn to regard the higher part of ourselves as the spiritual part that draws from itself the soul forces needed to fill itself with divine light. In ancient Atlantean times, the atmosphere was filled with so much fog and mist that the sun could not shine through the fog, and also the human being did not yet have eyes, such as today's eyes, to distinguish between objects. At first a gigantic bright disk that filled the entire horizon and was permeated with color gradually pushed through the fog. According to how much light the disk radiated, the eyes were formed by the light. Thus the spiritual part of our being should become radiant and fill the spiritual environment around us with light in which the spiritual beings, the beings that we designate as spiritual hierarchies, then become visible. This is what the Egyptians called seeing the sun at midnight. For them this required a special deed because they could not call it forth in the way described above. Rather, in order to see the sun through the earth on the other side, they had to be brought to it in the darkness of night. But today we fill ourselves with the spiritual sun and then radiate it out again with the organs that we could call spiritual eyes. The beings that we then see are higher gods, and that is what is called seeing the higher and lower gods. One can injure one's physical eyes if one tries to train them too much to see supra-sensory things, 
all the methods that are now coming primarily from England, which are designed to lead one to see human auras by means of a certain artificial technique, are injurious for physical eyes, because they drive the etheric body out of the eyes. One can even become blind. The end of the esoteric lesson. Esoteric lesson, given in Stuttgart on February 23, 1912. Manuscript from Hulda Schutten dates. In the course of the last lectures, we have learned that our entire existence is steered and guided by lofty beings, which work in their own particular way on the evolution of the world and our special human qualities. If we want to place ourselves in contact with them through concentration and meditation, we must fill ourselves with a feeling of humility that cannot be compared with the kind of humility we may well have in the course of daily life. When we connect ourselves with these high beings, who are also our teachers, our feeling of humility stands far above all human understanding. Only later do we acquire the ability to distinguish true beings from the forces that radiate out from within ourselves. And we can give a distinguishing marker that leads to a genuine insight of whether what is seen comes from a higher world or out of our own interior. We feel it in our hearts. A warmth and excitement streaming from the cosmos flows through the heart. For the heart is connected, on the one hand, with the zodiacal sign of Leo, and on the other hand with the sun, and the warmth of these forces collaborates in spiritual vision. What does it mean to be an esotericist? In all phases of our earth existence, we are situated in our karma, from which we can never escape because the consequences of our willing, our feeling, our thinking, and especially of our deeds, follow us irrevocably through all our incarnations, whether it be sooner or later. The guilt that we incur we must redeem on this earth, according to the circumstances in which we find ourselves in this incarnation. Divine guidance sees to this. Until we take our development into our own hands, Everything proceeds according to regulated laws that nothing can accelerate. If we enter into an esoteric training, then something entirely different happens to us. We free ourselves from guidance. We take our development into our own hands. We become qualitatively different people. How? Everything that we regarded as worthy of our desire in the past now loses in large measure its value for us. Our views and attitudes become different. We may see that earlier we behaved in ways that were hard and without compassion, and from now on our sense of responsibility becomes much more subtle. We will attempt to compensate for our incurred guilt in every way possible, even if it costs us great sacrifice inwardly and outwardly. Through their daily repetition, the meditations and other exercises that are given to esotericists transform the etheric body, assuming they are done with right attitude. That is, if the percepts, 
and images that appear inwardly are properly felt. Then the etheric body is transformed as it gradually separates from the physical body. Now, when these exercises have been carried out for a long time with patience and devotion, with one's whole being, however this can be done each time for only a short period of time, then gradually and very gently, when we wake from sleep, something wonderful makes itself noticed. This is something that we cannot express with words, for it is a very gentle feeling of an experience in the spiritual world from which we have just returned. After a process in time, we see colors appearing before us, in which forms develop. In these forms, something entirely different from what we are accustomed to seeing comes to meet us. However, a warning must be given that we must not immediately consider these forms to be spiritual experiences, nor many other things that will rise up and that the start of a spiritual development will be similar to things in our everyday environment. For our soul traits will very often be what appear radiating forth from our own souls. Now, an esoteric training by itself does not make a person any better. This must be expressly stated. No matter how highly developed an individual may be intellectually or with moral virtues, there are still uncompensated, bad, immoral traits hiding in the soul, which are usually whitewashed over by conventional mores. The human being is actually worse than he or she is usually seen by others. During esoteric development, which we take in hand ourselves, our vices and bad habits inevitably come forward. And here esotericists must employ all their strength in order to conquer them. We call up our karma ourselves and accelerate it through our development. May we well understand this, for we have entered upon a different path in life. We now have become comrades of our lofty spiritual guides, who alone until now have guided us for we have now taken over the leadership ourselves and also full responsibility for our spiritual evolution. Now, it is often said that it is nothing more than human egotism to want to develop faster than one's fellow human beings. But this is not the case. As soon as we become aware that we are of divine origin and that we must work our way back to the origin of our existence, to our divinity, then it is even a sin of omission to say, quote, I will take my own sweet time. I do not wish to anticipate the divine. One day it will lead me to the goal. Close quote. There is a great deal of arrogance in speaking in this way, for the gods have laid the seeds of our spiritual organs in us. As soon as we are conscious of this, it must become our duty not to let these forces lie fallow and wait for them to blossom in the general flow of evolution. We must take the unfolding of our spiritual organs in hand ourselves. We must not allow ourselves to be led, but rather become our own leaders. It is a difficult path. But this has nothing to do with egotism. 
for we are obligated to our leaders who have shown us the way so far already. Let us now turn our thoughts again to the lofty being who has especially the present day under his protection. It is always a beneficial combination when an esoteric lesson is held on a Friday. This is because of the great influence that this being pours into our thoughts and feelings. In parentheses, the mantra is given verse for the day. In the previous hour, we discussed why we should become esotericists. Today, I would like to tell you about the true significance of daily meditation. The meditations are tested and given to us by the masters of wisdom and harmony of feelings for esotericism. The force of these meditations is irrevocable when they are carried out in their true sense with sacred devotion. Shortly before falling asleep, we should use the meditations after we have banned all thoughts that connect us to daily life with its joys and pleasures, with its cares and efforts. The meditation should be our last thought that we carry over into the other world so that spiritual beings can unite with them. We are immersed in their etheric body. They permeate us with their forces so that we can receive from them new strength and fresh health for the coming day. How often do people unfortunately pass over into sleep with thoughts of all kinds of pleasures of everyday material life? These streams of thought produce vibrations that have the effect of pushing spiritual beings away. Human beings work in this way against their spiritual development as well as against their health. Just as we sink into the spiritual atmosphere in the evening, so also in the morning, upon awakening, we should also not immediately take hold of all that filled our lives the previous day in terms of cares and burdens, struggles, desires and passions. We should push all this away for a while, and let our thoughts abide for a time in the regions from which we have just emerged. Here, too, after a longer or shorter exercise, we will feel how this also fosters our development, and not only for our inner being, for out of our eyes, out of our hands, the radiant power that has flowed into us will pass over into our deeds for the salvation of humanity. The End of the Esoteric Lesson Esoteric lesson given in Munich on February 26, 1912. Record A, manuscript from Matilda Scholl and Barbara Wolf. Record B, manuscript from Alice Kinkle. Record A. It is, of course, quite natural that our esoteric lectures in the course of the years are always becoming more complicated in that they build upon those that have already been held. Since our esoteric movement is always growing, there are certain disadvantages that are thereby produced. Above all, the fact that it is becoming increasingly widespread. The ideal would be to have a small group that constantly strives for greater deepening. Now, we can work against superficiality if the newly joined members trustingly turn to the older members who have been hearing these lectures for years, and hear from them what has been said. Altogether, it would be good if some of those who expend so much loquaciousness 
the things of everyday life, would rein it in and instead think more about absorbing and spreading esoteric teachings in our circle. When so many of our members concentrate their trust so exclusively in one person, in the first instance in me, as more or less the karmic instrument for spreading these teachings, it is not right. The younger newcomers should trustingly turn to the older members with their questions concerning personal and daily life and seek advice from me only concerning questions of esoteric development. Trust is a factor that plays a big role in the life of the Lodge and the ability to give advice grows with those who are asked for it. We also have many physicians in our movement whom I trust completely as can be observed at any time. Our members could turn to them with many health questions. An especially intense esoteric life and work that can be considered a model is accomplished here at this locality. Of course, as a polarity, there also arise some disadvantages created, above all by the arrival of those who do not realize how serious and sacred the esoteric life really is. For those who have once devoted themselves to an esoteric life, it should be impossible for them to think the thought of ever leaving again for the sake of any external reason, for then they would prove how unserious and feeble their decision to join was from the outset. From the moment they become esotericists, Many are able to manage their karma into a calm destiny so that they can place their meditations in the center of their lives. Others are met more by events that they cannot harmonize with an esoteric life, sometimes to such an extreme degree that their esoteric life suffers from it. The ideal, of course, would be for our entire life to be illuminated by our esoteric center, as if we always have our eyes on that center. Something that damages esoteric development a great deal is above all the unchecked, superficial, and therefore objectively false criticism that we often express among ourselves or toward other people. I am not saying that it is wrong to express criticism, but it should always be related to a specific matter and not to a person merely for the reason that we do not like that kind of person. Our exercises are indeed apparently something very simple. Nevertheless, they have an effect on us greater than anything else that we can encounter in life. What is their effect? Through these meditations we should loosen the etheric body from within and draw it out. One of these days in our meditations it will happen to us that we no longer see, hear, and feel. And this will happen through the loosening of the etheric body. There are many methods to bring out the etheric body, but those that are external and not based on meditation are injurious for our organs, because the etheric body is, quote, pushed away from the outside, close quote. For example, the etheric part of the eyes could be pushed away from them, and they suffer from this. Through meditative activity only so many forces are loosened, so that enough are always present to maintain the functions of life in the organs. 
When we arrive at this condition of not hearing and so forth, we have left the physical body. Now, many of us have carried out these exercises for years. Nevertheless, there are those who have not yet achieved this. Why is that? Before departing the body, a discomforting feeling overcomes us, and the human being strives against that instinctively. There is nothing that a human being bulks against as much as this resigning of the etheric body from the physical. Even just thinking about it hinders it. It is almost like a reflexive movement that we immediately pull ourselves back again when this feeling overcomes us. We balk at this for a very specific reason. When through sufficient intensity of meditation students reach the point of leaving the body, it suddenly becomes clear to them just what a lofty, wonderful temple the body is with all its organs. When they then look at themselves, at what has just left the physical, they see that they are an ugly worm, and this worm balks at leaving the physical body. That is what refuses to leave, because it is horrified by its own ugliness. Then it becomes clear to us how infinitely far we still have to go to attain perfection. Through our meditations, we receive power that should be poured from within outward. But one can hear many saying, quote, In my case, nothing is being poured. Close quote. That is no wonder if we do our meditations lazily and not with sufficient intensity, and if many entirely everyday interests are placed higher than our esoteric work. The first feeling we have when the etheric body is loosened is heaviness in the brain and in the entire physical body, so that we feel it to be a weight that does not belong to us. We experience this wonderful structure, which is the most highly developed part of us, as transitory and fragile. We have made it that way. Ever since old Saturn, it has been increasingly perfected by divine beings and the Saturn and Sun forces that it retained from the past have been the upbuilding forces. However, we have also received something with the Moon forces, with the astral, and the forces of the Earth, the I, capital, the earthly self, which turns these forces outward in order to convey perceptions to the self through the sense organs. Now, in the course of esoteric training, people experience their senses as a destructive force, as a poison that is embedded in their organism. As the astral body and the eye were integrated, so too must the nervous system, brain and senses be transformed so that they can now receive from outside what streamed through them earlier, but then from inside toward the outer world. In this moment, an understanding of death comes to the human being, the true cause of it. And this was called, quote, standing at the gate of death, close quote, in the ancient mysteries. The I should now make up for all the mistakes it has made and perfect all its bodies so that we can become true human beings. The expression human being is indeed not often used in the highest sense 
that actually underlies it. But esotericists should always see it as their highest striving to make themselves into a human being. So, we should let everything that is imperfect die in the one whose name is so holy that we cannot mention it, in order to resurrect again in the perfect one, the Holy Spirit. End of Record A. Record B. Concerning the four principles of Egyptian initiation. Number one, feel one's body as a weight that hangs on one. Experience it as becoming something of the body. Number two, an esotericist should not express superficial criticism. Esotericists must learn to remain silent and to trust all their older brothers and sisters. They should carry out their meditations diligently and faithfully. And what is the result of doing this? Number one, recognizing that what one sees, the physical body as a temple and as a miraculous work of the gods. Number two, recognize oneself as an ugly worm that dwells in the body, making it impure. The end of the esoteric lesson. Esoteric lesson given in Mannheim, March 10, 1912. Record A, manuscript from Alice Kinkle. Record B, notes from Emma Klein. Record A, concerning meditation. A fruit of meditation. Getting a feeling that we strive for a connection with the beings of the higher hierarchies. This is a feeling of being taken up into higher worlds and as a feeling of arriving at the place where we originated. We experience warmth and life. The feeling of being taken up into the spiritual world must be warm and alive. Everything, everything must become different for an esotericist. Concepts, feelings and knowledge must be transformed for an esotericist. Concerning Egotism It is Luciferic beings who have given us our memory. Those who are thrifty in physical life are bad profligates in the soul and spiritual realm. We should become sparing in these forces and transform them into forces of vision. Self-knowledge alone can lead us to do this. From morning to evening we selfishly misspend our feelings and experiences. We must first pass through egotism in the soul-spiritual realm. Striving for entrance into the spiritual world presents for us the danger of our becoming egotistical in the physical world. For this reason, a proper training goes hand in hand with a moral and intellectual purification. We must be clear that the impossible is demanded of us as esotericists and that we are striving for the impossible. All striving is impossible and being non-egotistical is also impossible. Greed for knowledge and for progress is not proper for an esotericist, but rather a serious feeling of our duty to develop ourselves. The Divine Spirit placed powers in us that it developed without any contribution from us. Those are passive powers. However, God also placed active powers in us that we ourselves must develop through deeds. 
and it is the greatest sin against the divine spirit not to develop these powers, which God placed in us for the benefit and salvation of human evolution and progress. And these powers are so strong in us that they can lead us into spiritual worlds, even if only after many years. For this reason we must not get impatient, but should say to ourselves, quote, I will wait, for I know that these powers do this if only we are devoted in the right way to the spiritual world. Close quote. Auxiliary Exercises The auxiliary exercises create for us the necessary characteristics for the physical plane. For here we need composure or imperturbability, control of thoughts, and so forth. Then we will gradually have a compartment in our hearts, in our souls, in which we will keep what is our holiest, in which we are esotericists while we stand outside on the physical plane. It is obvious that this cannot happen without conflict. As esotericists we must become fighters. Thoughts that attack us are beings from the spiritual world that flutter around us. The more we attempt to hold them at bay, the stronger they charge in toward us. We should not complain about this. No, quote, be happy that this is happening, close quote, one can say to the student. This represents success in meditation that shows that thoughts are a spiritual power. An esotericist needs courage, fearlessness, and faith. The end of Record A. Record B. The esoteric path is not only full of battles and thorns. Rather, esotericists should and can permeate themselves with a fundamental feeling of blessedness concerning the fact that they have been taken up by higher powers into those regions from which we have all originated. Those who meditate seriously find that they are disturbed by impressions and worries from everyday life, by conditions that intrude from the physical world. Many believe that they are thereby hindered in their higher development and for this reason advance too slowly. Actually, this contact with real powers and beings in the physical world is a healing remedy of self-knowledge and an ongoing opportunity to test the powers that have been achieved through spiritual knowledge. Esoteric students must acquire a large measure of endurance and imperturbability and learn to make subservient the powers that no one can dodge who wishes to fulfill his or her mission on earth, namely the Luciferic powers. These powers have brought not only evil to humanity, but also the justified egotism of free, independent self-development. Here esotericists should learn to protect themselves from the grim wastefulness of which we are all daily guilty when we give vent to our best inner forces in unnecessary feelings, in rage, envy and worry. We should use these forces in justifiable egotism for our inner development. Instead of greed for spiritual knowledge, which is worthless, we should acquire a feeling of duty toward the higher powers, oneself, and the evolution of humanity, so that 
we say it is a sin against the Holy Spirit of evolution if we do not offer everything to concentrate our inner forces in a frugal way to perfect ourselves personally as much as possible. The greatest wastrel is a miserly cheapskate because he wastes his best forces with his greedy, worrisome thoughts. Thus he is excessively selfless in a useless way. We must not permit this egotism in the realm of esotericism to be carried over into the realm of the exoteric. Here the demand for selflessness, the denial of one's own I, remains standing. For this reason all esotericists must be clear that they simply want the impossible, and therefore it is unavoidable that they wind up in a conflict and must fight. On the one hand, we must live in justified egotism of pure inwardness and regard meditation as the most hidden of the most holy essence of the soul. But then, on the other hand, we must also turn our attention to the outer world and work in a selfless way within it in order not to fall into unjustified egotism. Here one can learn a lot from simple people who have an uncomplicated faith. They therefore face death with the confident certainty that they will be taken up and connected with higher eternal powers, while philosophers who have lived in one-sided thought-filled egotism face death with bitterness. The end of that esoteric lesson. Esoteric lesson given in Frankfurt, March 10, 1912. Manuscript from Alice Kinkle Concerning Laziness in the Face of Karma Observation of Oneself and One's Surroundings Observing and Guiding One's Feelings Purifying One's Morality and Intellectuality Karmic Connections Equals Revenge of Spiritual Beings Endurance and imperturbability are to be practiced. The most important part of our esoteric life is our meditations, through which we gradually work our way up into the spiritual world. So too is our attitude and the way in which we should perform the meditations in connection with higher worlds and beings. Greed for spiritual knowledge must not be allowed to rule us, Rather, the same mood should be present in which we carry our moral actions. For example, when we feel compassion or share someone's joy. Otherwise, there is the great danger for us as esotericists that we lose our moral moorings in our exoteric lives, that we become worse than we were before. For this reason, auxiliary exercises are always given in conjunction with the actual meditations. They serve to educate, to consolidate us in intellectual and moral matters. A further danger stalks esotericists in the course of their karma, on whose transformation and mastery they are working. Almost on a regular basis, the phenomenon appears here that those who are working intensely on a deepening of their souls become negligent with respect to external karmic events and conditions. In the life between death and rebirth, the karmic misdeeds with which esotericists burdened themselves in the past 
trigger a strong drive to balance them with karma. Thus they are placed in situations and in connection with personalities where they would have the possibility of fulfilling these karmic obligations. In normal exoteric development, karma would slowly unfold or be worked out partially. Now when students are too occupied with their esoteric development and do not pay enough attention to the external conditions that constitute their destiny, karma overtakes them. Then what would otherwise take place over years or in various incarnations must now work itself out in a concentrated way through oppressive conflicts and great life difficulties. As this occurs, the students can be brought to the edge of despair and may also bring problems to their environment, drawing it into the karmic eruption. However, even in their simplest beginning exercises, they have the comfort that there are powers that also hold and support them. We can and should always bear this in mind. End of Esoteric Lesson Esoteric Lesson given in Berlin, March 22, 1912 Record A, anonymous manuscript from the Freda Collection. Record B, manuscript from Nelly Lichtenberg. Record C, manuscript from Louis Classon. Record A. Our esoteric exercises should bring us to imaginative knowledge. There are imaginations that in times not far behind us, relatively speaking, could be understood by every student without further explanation. Today, such imaginations must be interpreted for us in understandable words, because only very few esotericists would come upon the significance themselves. Now, an imagination will be given here that is useful for all esotericists who have the feeling, despite their efforts, of not advancing far enough. Students should imagine that their teacher or master is standing before them in the form of Moses, even if they have only an indefinite imagination of this personality, and that he then asks them, So you want to know why, then, you have not come further on your esoteric path? I will tell you. It is because you worship the golden calf. Close quote. After these words, the student sees the golden calf next to Moses. Moses now causes fire to rise up out of the earth. The fire consumes the golden calf until it is powdery dust. This powder he throws onto clear water that is present and gives the student this water mixed with powder to drink. Not many centuries ago, every esotericist could still have understood this picture. Now it needs to be explained in the following way. If we go back in our memories, we come to the point where our memories stop and our eye-consciousness had its start. What lies before is what we have made of ourselves in previous incarnations and have brought along with us into this incarnation. This is the golden calf that we worship without realizing it, our, in quotes, sheath nature. In the place of the golden calf, students then place the picture of themselves as children who do not yet have any eye-consciousness. They permeate themselves with the consciousness that what they feel 
as the eye is nothing other than a luciferic effect, for ordinary eye consciousness is based upon memory, and memory is a luciferic power, since it is Lucifer's task to bring the past over into the present. If we subtract from ourselves what we have as eye consciousness, there remains as a remnant what we have brought along from previous earth lives. It may appear difficult to have to imagine oneself in this way, but without such stern concepts we will not become prepared to encounter the guardian of the threshold. Then the students really imagine how the fire burns the form of the child that they themselves were. Meanwhile, they are only a little more grown, but fundamentally speaking, they are still this sheath nature that the child also was in, except that now the illusion of the eye has been added. They see how the form has become powdery dust, and through this they should become very conscious of the fact that they should be indifferent to everything about these sheaths, that is, physical, etheric body and astral body, indifferent to the pile of powder, as indifferent as clay is to a sculptor before he or she has made anything out of the clay. The physical body, the form, the external gestalt, the etheric body with its memories, the astral body with its sympathies and antipathies, all this must be thought away or thought of as a little pile of dust. Perhaps we cannot transform this into practical life immediately. It is not intended that we should suddenly fling our arms around someone for whom we feel sympathy. But when we practice this exercise, we should be able to reject all antipathy from ourselves. And the dust is thrown into the pure water of divine substance just as it was before the luciferic power had worked into it. Thus should our sheath nature be sacrificed, as the divine substance returned. Esotericists also come to the insight that all this, which for them is only a little pile of dust, is nevertheless formed out of the spirit. The shape of the body was sculpted out of the spirit. The spirit made them into that which they now are as form, and that which the Spirit has made out of us, we should again take into ourselves. We should drink again the water in which the dust was dissolved. Then we have it purified. After the golden calf burned, what became powder and was dissolved. When we do this, then at first we will feel that a certain place in us becomes empty. It is the place where the eye usually sits we feel it becoming empty. Then one can either become a Buddhist or enter a region for which a human being could feel him or her self worthy into nirvana in a non-earthly sphere. Or one can arrive at a new consciousness of the Christ impulse and feel this streaming into the place of the I that has become empty. Christ could never have come to earth within the Hebrew people, unless Moses had destroyed the golden calf and thrown it into water and given it to the people of Israel to drink. It is not intended that students carry out this imagination daily, but rather every now and then, after a certain period of time, for example, every three or four or six weeks. Fundamentally speaking, 
It is only a clarification of our Rosicrucian verse. The end of record A. Record B. Concerning the golden calf. Many esotericists think that they are not advancing on the esoteric path. They would like to be well versed in their exercises and do not know why they are hindered in their progress. Because it is difficult to capture in today's words and concepts what is to be said, I will now place an imagination before your souls that all mystery students had to experience. Imagine Moses as your teacher and master, the entire imagination as a vision. Moses, who answers your question with a stern tone as to why you are not advancing faster, since you have such great longing to penetrate into the spiritual world, parenthesis, in silence one should expect the answer, which is very often not given in the sense in which the questioner intended it, close parenthesis, quote, first you must burn the golden calf, close quote. In the same moment, imagine a golden calf placed next to Moses, then fire, which Moses calls forth from the earth, and that the golden calf is burning, so that nothing remains except pulverized dust. Then imagine further that Moses stirs this dust into water and gives it to the meditating people to drink. It has often been mentioned that human beings remember back only to a certain point in childhood. Our parents and siblings have told us what happened before this point in time, but we ourselves know nothing about it, because the I was not yet in us, but rather it worked from outside. Basically speaking, the I is just the sum of all previous memories. Therefore, I am speaking of the time of your childhood that lies before your memory. Imagine how you were as a child and put this child in the place of the golden calf. Then allow Moses again to call forth fire from the earth, which then burns and consumes the child. Although exoteric students, in a time not too far in the past, would have taken up such an imagination only with their feelings, today we must add an explanation in order to understand it. Readers aside, I think the word exoteric there is supposed to be esoteric. End of readers aside. Much of what should now be said may sound harsh and wounding, but there need to be strong, gruesome pictures that call forth a strong reaction in the soul if we are to advance in our esoteric life. There are four feelings that accompany these thoughts which this imagination must call forth in our souls. The first thought feeling must be that we admit to ourselves that until now we really have worshipped the golden calf, our own self as we have developed ourselves physically. This self is what we have been worshipping. Our memories of the past stand under the influence of Lucifer. What we call our memory we owe to Lucifer. Lucifer works in all that we have become also through incarnations or through inheritance. If the purely spiritual is to once again attain dominion within us, our sheaths must be burned, must be pulverized to dust and ashes. The second thought feeling, 
is that all that we see and feel of ourselves externally signifies nothing more than a little dust, and not the kind of dust from which something new can be formed, but rather like a little pile of dust lying on the street. This is how we should feel our personality. All sympathy and antipathy must stop. Indeed, I do not need to show this externally. I do not have to immediately embrace someone whom I do not particularly love. That would be a falsehood. Inwardly, though, we should greet everyone the same way. Third, we should awaken the feeling within ourselves that everything around us is only maya. Our physical body and also our astral and etheric bodies are maya, or mere appearance. The purely spiritual that stands behind it is the eye. The nose that has grown with us is maya. The hand is maya. We only gain the correct standpoint when we think of them as something that really does not concern us, as an instrument like any other, a hammer, and so forth. Everything around us is maya, is a lie. And the picture we have of ourselves in childhood before memory begins is a double lie. First of all, everything is maya, and secondly, we cannot remember that time anyway. From this knowledge that everything is maya should come the certainty that a spiritual world stands behind everything, that everything significant about us has been formed in us by high spiritual personalities, beings. And finally, the fourth thought feeling should be this. Everything that we have achieved in our previous incarnations also must be destroyed. Our own personality, our own I, which has been totally pulverized to dust and entirely dissolved in water, we must drink. Then, of course, desolation and emptiness will arise in the soul, which longs to depart from the earthly into peace and rest, into nirvana. A Buddhist remains standing here, but we know that the emptiness should be filled and can be through the Christ impulse, which is our higher self, our higher I, that should lead us up into the spiritual world again. This emptiness will always be recognized by a feeling of most devoted, deepest piety with respect to spiritual worlds. One should want nothing for oneself, but rather one should feel oneself as God's servant on earth, as a messenger from spiritual worlds. Recall this story of the golden calf frequently. Place it before your soul. If it had not occurred, then Christ Jesus could not have come forth from the Hebrew people. Not every day, but every three weeks, for a quarter hour, and not only two or three times, and then think that is enough, but rather again and again, Remember this imagination. Then you will realize soon enough the cause of your not having advanced. Esotericists on the path who want to turn back prove thereby their unworthiness and weakness. Such esotericists set themselves in contradiction to the feelings that filled their souls when they stepped onto the esoteric path. It is nevertheless better for them to turn back than to drag this falsehood through their entire lives. The end of Record B. Record C. Many will find that they are not really advancing in their meditations. 
Today I will give you a meditation that helps one to progress when used frequently. Imagine the leader on the esoteric path in the form of Moses. He says to us, quote, You long to know why you are not advancing. Close quote. He shows us the golden calf and says, quote, For this reason you are not advancing, because you worship the golden calf. Close quote. He causes a fire to flame up around the golden calf and burn it up. Then he grinds the ashes into dust, spreads them over the water, and then gives us this water to drink. Then he says, quote, Only now will you make progress. Close quote. Certain thoughts must arise in response to this story. We must remember back to childhood, to the time before our memory or our consciousness of self, which we owe to Lucifer, were present. All that we were at that time, before the onset of memory, was created by spiritual forces as a result of previous incarnations. There then appears before our inner eye, EYE, in place of the golden calf, the child that we ourselves were. And the same thing happens. Flames flare up and consume it in fire. It is ground to dust, which is then strewn over water and given to us to drink. Moses then says to us with implacable sternness, quote, You yourself are the golden calf that you worship. Close quote. Now recognize that the figure of the child, although you ultimately cannot imagine it, for you do not know it, have never seen it, close parenthesis, is Maya, doubly Maya. It is the kind of Maya that is matter in every form that you meet it in the sense world. For that which holds matter together, the spiritual, you do not know. This is the case with respect to the etheric body and astral body. For that which you know about yourself is memory to you. And this is Lucifer, is Maya. So too is everything that is sympathy and antipathy, that you know about your own I, yourself, Maya. All of this must be consumed in fire must become nothing, if you want to recognize it. And you must become as indifferent to it as you are to the dust in the street that you walk by. When thus nothing remains of you more than a husk, and within a great emptiness, then you must fill it with the Christ being. That is what drinking the water means. When the dust is dissolved by the Christ being, you will win back your sheaths, but each sheath must appear to you as something outside you, an instrument only, like a hammer in your hand. You must be to yourself nothing more than an instrument for the work and deeds of the spiritual world. That is the end of this section 7, which went from pages 270 to page 315 of the book.